Today, we continue our brief survey of the book of Revelation during the 50 days of Easter. Jesus has established the kingdom of God and initiated a new creation. And so we're turning to the book of Revelation to explore what that really means. What does it mean that the kingdom of God has been established? What does it mean that the new creation has begun? I want to begin in the opening chapters of Genesis. God creates Adam and commissions him to exercise dominion over all creation. Adam is called to be a king. From the very beginning, God intended for that throne to be occupied by a human being. But of course, Adam fails, and he forfeits that throne, right? And in a sense, the rest of the Bible is about finding a new Adam. It's about finding a worthy human being who can take the throne intended for Adam. In Hebrews chapter 2, which is quoting Psalm 8, we are told that God has made man for a little while lower than the angels. God has made man lower than the angels, and yet he has given dominion to man and not the angels. And notice it says that man is for a little while lower. The implication being that mankind was only temporarily made lower than the angels. The Apostle Paul even says that human beings are destined to judge the angels. So here's the deal. If we're going to understand what's happening in Revelation 4 and 5, we have to understand this dynamic. Mankind was made lower than the angels, but that was always intended to be temporary. The plan has always been for God to give the throne to a worthy human being. So keep that in mind. Now, last week we saw Jesus revealed as both the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7 and as the Ancient of Days from Daniel chapter 7. And today we will see Jesus revealed as having yet another dual identity. He is both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. We're looking at chapter 5 today, but, but really chapters 4 and 5 are one unit, and so we need to consider the context. As I mentioned last week, the book of Revelation is broken into four different visions, and each vision is marked by the phrase, in the Spirit. Last week, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he was given a glorious vision of Jesus, followed by seven messages for seven churches. And now at the beginning of chapter 4, John is given a second vision. He sees an open doorway into heaven, and he hears a voice call to him, Come up here. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. So John is taken in the Spirit through a, a doorway in the sky to the throne room of God. And this Second vision is the subject of the next 12 chapters of the book of Revelation. As John arrives in the throne room, he witnesses a heavenly worship service in progress. Not only does this vision take place within the context of John's worship, the vision actually gives John a glimpse of what worship looks like in heaven. And that's, that's a really powerful thing if you think about it. Because we sing every week, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As with everything else, we ought to be conforming our worship 
to a heavenly pattern insofar as that pattern has been revealed to us. But John arrives in the throne room, and around the throne he sees 24 additional thrones. And seated on the 24 thrones are 24 unidentified beings. Your Bible probably calls them elders. The identity of the 24 elders is much debated, but for for a number of reasons, I think these 24 elders are angelic beings. In addition, John sees four cherubim. These are special angels who serve God directly in the throne room. And all of these angels, the four cherubim and the 24 elders, are constantly giving glory and honor and thanks to God. But in chapter 4, verse 10, we learn that the 24 angels will soon lay down their crowns before the throne. Depending on your translation, it may sound like the 24 angels are constantly casting their crowns before the throne, but actually verse 10 is foreshadowing something. John is introducing us to the 24 angels who throughout the rest of this book will be laying down their crowns. And as further evidence of this, well, I I want you to guess, how many times do you think we will see an angel performing an action in the book of Revelation? 24. (laughs) The book of Revelation from this point forward contains a total of 24 actions performed by angels. That is not an accident. Okay, so chapter 4 describes the glory of the heavenly sanctuary. And now with chapter 5, a dramatic scene begins to unfold. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So John is brought in the spirit to the heavenly throne room and at the right hand of God, which is where the king is supposed to be, there is a sealed scroll and they cannot find anyone who can occupy that throne or open that scroll, which causes John to weep. Okay, two questions. Why is John weeping? And why not just have God open the scroll? Well, think back to what I said earlier about mankind and the angels. The scroll is supposed to be opened by a human being. God is obviously worthy to open that scroll, but they are looking for a worthy human. This is why the bodily ascension of Jesus is such an important doctrine. But John is weeping because no worthy human can be found, which is a major problem because of what the scroll represents. According to Deuteronomy 17, whenever a new king was enthroned in Israel... He was to be given the book of the law. And from the book of the law, the king would learn to govern justly and righteously and to usher in the kingdom of God. And so the book of the law was, in a sense, a revelation for the king. It was a divine plan for kingdom victory. So that's helpful context. 
I think we can be even more specific. Last week, we saw that the book of Revelation is borrowing heavily from the book of Daniel. Well, in Daniel chapter 12, the prophet is given a vision of the distant future. But God commands him, seal the book. Seal the book. And so the book of Daniel comes to a close with a sealed scroll. The heavenly court in Revelation chapter 5 is searching for a worthy king who can unseal that scroll of Daniel. They are searching for a worthy king who can govern righteously and unleash the kingdom of God. And so John is weeping because so long as the scroll remains sealed, this world cannot be made right. The kingdom cannot come. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Okay, chapter 5 opens with a sealed scroll and an unoccupied throne. And so we must conclude that this vision has taken us back in time. The victorious Jesus has not yet ascended into heaven. Last week, we talked about Jesus coming with the clouds, which is a reference to his ascension. According to Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man would ascend with the clouds in order to receive the kingdom from the Ancient of Days. Well, that's what we're seeing here in chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 is about the ascension of Christ. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He is worthy to unseal that scroll and to take that throne. So John has now witnessed the ascension of Christ from two perspectives. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus disappears into a cloud. John witnesses the ascension of Christ from below, from the earth. And now in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus comes with the clouds. John witnesses the ascension of Christ from above, from heaven. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So last week, John looks at Jesus expecting to see the Son of Man, but he sees the Ancient of Days. And this week, John looks at Jesus expecting to see a lion, and he sees a slaughtered lamb. And this dual identity reveals the true nature of the kingdom of God. From the perspective of heaven, the strongest and most courageous saints are the saints who are willing to be sacrificed. If John were to only see a lion, then the early Christians may have concluded that the kingdom would come through military might or through political clout. But he doesn't just see a lion. He sees a lion lamb. And so the early Christians are reminded and assured, you are conquerors. In fact, you are more than conquerors. But from the perspective of heaven, to conquer is to follow the way of the humble lamb. The call is to be victorious. 
but victory looks like suffering and sacrifice. The humbler the lamb, the mightier the lion, the greater their humility, the greater the victory. Verse 8. And when the lamb had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before him, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The lion lamb was indeed slain, but by his blood he has ransomed myriads and myriads of saints from every tribe, tongue, people, and ethnicity, and he has made them a kingdom of priests who will reign as kings and queens on the earth. I said this last week, but, but I'll say it again. The book of Revelation is fundamentally about the enthronement of the saints. The book of Revelation is fundamentally about the exaltation of the bride. Jesus takes the throne and then he invites the saints to reign alongside him. Remember, John told us in chapter 4 that 24 angels are going to lay down their crowns. The 24 angels have been temporarily occupying those 24 thrones. But now, a human king has ascended into the heavenly throne room. And by his blood, he has made the saints worthy to reign alongside him. In other words, chapter 5 is describing the day that the 24 angels resign. They are relinquishing their thrones out of deference to humanity. We were made a little while lower than the angels, but in Christ we have ascended to a place of authority. The arrangement was always intended to be temporary, and here we see the arrangement coming to an end. In fact, by the time we come to Revelation chapter 20, these thrones are once again occupied, except this time they are occupied by human beings. The 24 angels come down from their 24 thrones and lay down their 24 crowns so that the saints can pick up those crowns and take those thrones. The angels must decrease so that the bride of Christ may increase. But what does this really mean for us? Is this a strictly heavenly authority? Do we have to die to exercise this type of authority? No. Let's look at verse 8 one more time. When the lion lamb takes the scroll, the four cherubim and the 24 angels fall down before him, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is amazing to me. Um, the, the book of Revelation gives us a glimpse into the sort of worship taking place in heaven. And here we see that our prayers are actually being collected and presented before the throne. The songs and prayers of the church on earth actually appear in heaven as sweet-smelling incense. Here in a few minutes, Andy and Mackenzie are going to lead us in song. 
And then Eric is going to lead us through a series of prayers. And I know these things can become routine because we do them every week. It can be tempting to tune out, right? It can be tempting to tune it out. It can be tempting to start thinking about lunch or the kids or whatever you have coming up this week. But I want to encourage you to engage with that. Imagine, picture these songs and prayers being collected and presented before the throne in heaven. Stand with the heavenly host and sing, quote, with a loud voice. Pray with Eric as he prays. Offer your sincere affirmation to those petitions. Father, in your mercy, hear our prayer. He hears our prayers. He smells the incense. And he moves in the world on the basis of those petitions. We are reigning with Jesus today and we are praying down his kingdom. When we worship, we are joining in harmony with the heavenly host. Just as John heard a voice from heaven, come up here, so our worship service is being grafted into the worship service taking place in the heavenly sanctuary. And we see this worship continue to the end of chapter 5. Actually, it continues growing to the end of chapter 5. The worship of the Lamb begins with the four cherubim, and then it expands to the 24 elders, and then it expands to a myriad of angels, And then it expands even further to include everything in heaven and on earth. Our worship is being grafted into that. And together with the heavenly host, we sing verse 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Now, forever and ever is actually a misleading translation of that final phrase. The lamb is receiving blessing and honor and glory and might, literally, in the Greek, unto the ages of ages. Unto the ages of ages. And I want to point that out because the phrase forever and ever has a fairy tale quality to it. Um, Most of us probably imagine forever and ever to be a continuous, unending, unbroken, happily ever after, right? But just because the lamb is on the throne does not mean that everything is smooth sailing from here on out. Rather, the lamb is sovereign unto the ages of ages. Ages come and ages go, but the lamb, the lion lamb, is sovereign over all of it, over every age. And this was important for John's first audience because Even though Jesus was on the throne, the church was facing persecution and martyrdom. They needed to know that despite the ups and downs of human history, life and death, war and peace, joy and pain, the lion lamb would remain on the throne. And we need to remember that too. We may not be facing persecution and martyrdom, We have brothers and sisters who are. But here in the West, we're we're all wondering what the future holds. It feels as though one age is giving way to another age right now. 
and the resulting cultural and social upheaval may not be a pleasant experience. But over all of it, over all of that, unto the ages of ages, the lion lamb is seated upon the throne. The lion lamb has the scroll in his hand. The lion lamb is governing the world in righteousness and unleashing the kingdom of God. Fear not. He is the first and the last and the living one. He died and behold, he is alive unto the ages of ages. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you um, for both your glory and your humility. You are enthroned high above us, and yet you are willing to share your throne room with us, lowly as we are. Jesus, Lion of Judah, Lamb of God, you are worthy, and you make us worthy. And we pray your kingdom comes. We pray your kingdom come unto the ages of ages. Holy Spirit, we thank you for grafting us into the worship of heaven. Please inspire in us the humility to walk the way of the humble lamb. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.